the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Today we are going to continue with this censorship, um, uh, basically, stance that is taken uh, not just in the field of academia, but believe it or not, into other fields as well. As well. So, Dr. J, thank you again for highlighting, putting the spotlight on, um, uh, you know, uh, Wilford Smith and uh, how that uh, played out into uh, his own academic career at McGill and then later in Harvard. Now, you mentioned something to me that was really a little bit shocking, that this censorship actually uh, migrated to other fields as well. Yeah, it did uh, migrate, and that's where we're going to go to next. So starting in academia, it also had an impact on other areas, such as the U.S. Defense Department. Let me just uh, quote what Shoemaker says on page 7. He said, after the Second World War and during the Cold War, the U.S. uh, Defense Department, coupled with powerful corporate interests, needed information on how to navigate global politics and advance U.S. policy goals. So they needed to produce knowledge about Islam in its contemporary form to be politically useful, resulting in curtailing any studies of Islam's origins, any critical studies of Islam's origin. Politically correct, basically. Basically, became had to be completely correct in order, and for obvious reasons. They had to have relationship with these powers that were now freed up uh, after the Second World War. The colonial powers then gave back their colonies. Remember, 95% of the Muslim world was colonized by the different European powers, not by the United States, but by the European powers. Following the Second World War, in the 1950s, and particularly in the 1960s then, they pulled out of their colonies, and those all became independent nations. Now, how do you have relationship with those independent nations? Well, in order to do so, you're going to have to appease them, come alongside them. You're going to have to have contracts with them. You're going to have to have business interests, especially with the oil-rich countries, because this is where oil was being discovered. Everybody needed oil, and so therefore you're going to have to have a whole department, uh, defense department, that now had to retool and completely change. And in order to... uh, uh, accommodate them both financially and also politically and certainly in uh, in your defense initiatives, you're going to make sure that you're not going to say anything critical, certainly not on the origins of Islam, which is the one critical area that was starting to come to the fore. And so that's why they shut down any critical analysis of historical criticism. Mm-hmm. Hughes, uh, in his book in 2008, says this, 
Thus, a certain version of Islam was privileged at the expense of its other cultural expressions in a flattening that sought to make the information more universally relevant for policymakers and industry. So they purposely flattened, they purposely said anything that's critical of Islam, we will not for, we will not uh, uh, give money to, we will not uh, project, and we certainly will not use. And so all the departments, both politically and in the defense departments, therefore changed their policies on Islam to be benevolent and benign. So that introduced, that in, 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 uh, infected our political and our uh, uh, financial departments. Now let's move in to the elite and let's go to the next group. The next group that they came to play then were the academics, the Muslim academics. Now, uh, what uh, Shoemaker says is these academic Muslims uh, are defined as believers mostly from the upper class. They are come from privileged backgrounds who are more highly educated than most Muslims. When you look here in the United States, and you notice this and I notice this, whenever I did a study uh, back when I was doing my master's degree back in the 19, my goodness, that's a long time ago, 1990s. 1980s, sorry, 1980s when I was doing my master's degree on why uh, Americans became Muslims, why they converted to Islam. I noticed immediately when I went from mosque to mosque to mosque all over the East Coast, I went to all the major cities, and I noticed that the mosques in the inner cities were all Afro-American mosques, but those outside the cities were all Indian and Pakistani and Bangladeshi mostly, mm -hmm. and Middle Eastern mosques, and neither the twain met. And it was these outside the cities in the rural areas that were very expensive. They were very highly educated. Many of them were immigrants that came from these countries. They came here to work. They had great degrees. They were the ones that started imposing this high, this criticism of anything critical of Islam, especially historical criticism. And this is what Hughes goes on and uh, carries on and speaks about this group of Muslims. They are elite. And they tend to be very highly educated. They are the ones that are actually in our universities. Mm -hmm. They are the ones that are defining Islam and trying to sanitize it for a Western mindset. And he says this, Speaking from their lofty perches in the ivory tower of academia, these Muslim scholars, quote-unquote, will frequently insist, for instance, that Islam in its true form is fully compatible with most of the liberal values of the West of the Western Academy on issues such as race, gender, and especially violence. This came to the fore practically after 9-11. And Hughes brings this up. He's writing in 2014, just at the height of where ISIS is coming to the fore. With Al-Qaeda doing what it did on the, around the world, with Boko Haram, Al-Shabaab, all these other groups popping up all over the world. And then, of course, with ISIS coming to the fore in 2014, suddenly Islam had to have a whole new, whole new narrative. And I saw this, I've said this to you, at Speaker's Corner. In the 1990s, at Speaker's Corner, when I started in 1992, we used to get beat up. There was violence. we get punched. I got broken glasses. You can see where they try to open up my throat. There was no, there was no push to be peaceful in my interactions with Muslims, Muslims use violence quite readily. Until 9-11, until 2021, September 11, 2021, almost overnight the narrative changed to one of peace. Now they became a religion of peace. And I, I saw it personally, firsthand, there at Speaker's Corner. It became a lot easier to get up on the ladder and actually confront Muslims because I knew I wouldn't get beat up anymore. But that was a narrative that was imposed because of what happened on the world stage. Right. What Hughes is saying is this happened 
especially in academia as well. Now the academics, the Muslims, the, these Muslims who are academic, they are from Muslim countries. They're not living in the United States. They're in our academic institutions. They are now trying to push this new narrative of peace. In order to do that, of course, uh, they, they, are, they are very clear that they don't want anybody critiquing Islam and bringing up all these violent verses. You know, there's a whole litany of violent verses. Chapter 9, uh, verse 5. Chapter 9, verse 29. Chapter 8, verse 39. Chapter 47, verse 4. I mean, the list can go on and on. I think you have about 160 of these verses that are all violent in the cross. So what do you do? You just shut down any uh, research on that. But then you've also got to make sure that you don't have any research on who was the one that created or how this book was put together or what was the environment uh, where the creation was. So that was the academic Muslims. Shoemaker says, and asks this question, however, these academics, these very small group, there's only a small group of them, do they represent Muslims? When he says, when you look at global Islam beyond the universities, it is much more diverse on these issues, and its adherents do not understand their faith as being at all compatible with these Western values. So you have this elite group, and remember, Al-Qadi, I mean, um, not Al-Qadi, uh, yes, um, What's his name? Um, Yasser Qadi. Yasser Qadi. What did I say? Al-Qadi? Yasser Qadi. In yeah. that interview, that infamous interview in 2020, With when he was Hijab. turning to Muhammad Shabbat, uh, Hijab. Hijab, and he said to Muhammad Hijab, you in the East, he said East versus West. Correct. He's talking, he is one of these academics that I'm talking about. He is from Pakistan. His family is from Pakistan. He's living in Houston. He got his doctorate at Yale University. He is probably, probably the most well-known Muslim academic living in the Muslim uh, in the West who is, speaks, and when he speaks, hundreds, millions listen. And he said to Muhammad Hijab, you are in the East, I live in the West. You, uh, uh, your standard narrative, which is the Islamic narrative, has holes in it, he said. But we in the West here, they've they, in the last hundred years, they've come by leaps and bounds. And they're looking at us Muslims like the emperor with no clothes. Remember that when he said that in yeah. that interview? Yeah. That's what he's talking about. We in the West, we have a different genre. We have a whole different environment that we have to live in. We have to live in this much more politically correct. We have to sanitize it. We have to ameliorate it so that it fits in the Western model of peace and reconciliation. Islam has to be peaceful and reconciled to the rest of the world. You, however, don't have the problems that we have. That can became very clear in that interview. Well, that's exactly what Hughes is saying here, and that's what Shoemaker is saying. However, that's only in the Western world. What about the rest of the world? What about the 99% who don't live in the West? What about those Muslims? Right. Why is it we're not speaking for them? Exactly, exactly. So, when we we want to wrap it up uh, because I want you to uh, hold your thoughts for the next episode. What would we uh, be exposing next time? Well, obviously, because of all this push by the Muslims and by the U.S. Department and also by William Cantrell Smith, because of this push to sanitize it, to ameliorate it, to make sure Islam is not has no critical analysis, what has Western academia done? I'm going to go and show you what they have done. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Until next time, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. 
We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAinternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. So, Dr. J, what do we mean by that, that Western academia wants everybody to say the same thing? Well, again, we're going back to what Shoemaker is really pointing forward. And he said he's walking through and he's taking us as we go through, showing how starting with uh, uh, Wilfred Smith or Wilfred Cantrell Smith back in 1959 with his uh, journal study, stipulating that anything that is written about Islam must be acceptable to Islam, must be acceptable to believers within Islam. Otherwise, don't publish it, don't write it, don't speak it. That has then permeated right through academia in the United States, which has also had an effect in Europe as well. And that has now also then permeated our defense department. It has permeated our business schools. Everything now is uh, starting from the premise, do not hurt the sensibilities of Muslims. If you want to make friends with the Muslims, if you want to have contract with them, if you want to get have defense uh, to contract with them in a new world where they're now all these independent countries, you better not say anything critical about them, and certainly not historical critical analysis. Not, don't do to the Quran what has been done to the Bible. If it can't be accepted by Muslims, don't say it. Don't write it. Meaning, don't your opinion. It. If your opinion cannot be accepted by Muslims, don't say it. Don't if what you it. write, if what yeah. you if you what you publish, if what you say even cannot be accepted by Muslims, just don't do it. Isn't That's this a definition saying. of censorship? Absolutely. This is huge censorship, and it's not been done in any other field. And we've been, it yeah. we're almost sound like a broken record. How many times have we said it? No other area of, uh, would you ever allow this type of research to be done. It is unique to Islam. So, what is happening and what Shoemaker's coming up with, and he's quoting from Robert A. Orsi. Robert A. Orsi, and this is what I love about Shoemaker, he brings in so many other scholars to back up what he's saying. And this is what uh, Robert uh, a. Orsi. He's talking about this I need to bring everything down to one common, one common uh, model, one common paradigm. He says, religious studies itself has a long history of marginalizing beliefs and practices that stand sharply at odds with the values of Western liberal Protestantism in particular, focused almost entirely on elevating those elements from the history of religion that would provide morally uplifting undergraduate teaching. So basically, if it doesn't have, if it doesn't fit with our Protestant ideals of what is good and what is bad, don't teach it. Don't write it. Mm-hmm. Don't publish it. Or see so you're saying. Without even, here's the irony of it. He's not realizing, where do you think Protestant, liberal, Western Protestant uh, morals and ideas come from? Yeah. <laughs> they come straight out of this book right here. He doesn't want to give credit to this book. That's right. But he's saying, we must therefore, everything that we preach or teach or even say about this book must, basically, it must really parallel what's already in this book. He doesn't say that. We know that that because... All of our morality that we use in the West really comes straight out of the Bible. How we treat women, how we define families, our whole moral system, the fact that this me movement, what do you think this me movement about? That women must be uh, must be given the last say, that you don't impose yourself on women. Where do you think that comes from? That comes straight out of Scripture, that they have equality with us. That comes straight 
exactly. of Galatians 3.8. Exactly. So you can see that all of this stuff that uh, Orsi is saying is taking that Protestant view of of morality and imposing it on all other faith system, including Islam. As a result of that, what is the reason? So that you can, this is the kind of Islam that we want to approach. This is the kind of Islam that we want to live with. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of Islam you want to take home to tea to meet your mother. All right? This is what he says. As a result, true religion is epistemologically and ethically singular. It is rational, respectful of persons, non-coercive, mature, non-anthropomorphic in its higher forms, mystical as opposed to ritualistic, unmediated and agreeable to democracy, no hierarchy in gilded forms, uh, robes, and fancy hats, monotheistic, no angels, saints, demons, ancestors, emotionally controlled, a religion of mind and spirit, not body and matter. As you're reading this, can you see all these red flags are flying up? Yeah, I wonder if he even knows anything about Islam, to be honest with you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is what he's saying. Forget about what true Islam is. Forget about what you've been told about Islam. Forget about what the Quran says. Forget about what Muhammad did. Let's just make sure that it fits all these paradigms that we know in Western liberal Protestantism. Let me add uh, something. I mean, this is why I want to tell my Muslim friends, if you're watching this, these kind of scholars are insulting you, actually. You know why? Because first, they're corrupting what your book is teaching, what your history is teaching, the history at least that you've accepted. And they're telling you, you can't think for yourself. We're going to think on your behalf. Now, if you're happy with this, honestly, uh, it uh, breaks my heart because many of you that I know, if not all of you, are smart people. God has given you intellectual abilities to analyze things, what these Western scholars are doing exactly what you are experiencing in your own collective cultures. You're being told how to think and what to say, and that's what these Western scholars, who are cowards, actually, are telling you to do. But stop and think what Orsi is saying here. I mean, just try to, let me just, I'm just, just read it again. It is rational, it is respectable of persons, non-coercive. And I say, hold on a minute, look at Muhammad. Was he respectful of the Jews living in Medina? Was he non-coercive of the Jews living in Medina? Was he non-coercive of those anybody who stood against him? Can you see? You can't even apply this to their own prophet. This could not be applied to anything that I see in the Quran. Uh, it is unmediated and agreeable to democracy. Since when is democracy agreeable to Islam? It is as high as you can get. Allah at the top, then you have the you have the Khalif underneath, then you have the ulema, the religious uh, believers, uh, scholars, and then you have the Ummah, which are the uh, the believers, and then you have the Al-Kitab, which is you and me, and then at the very bottom you have the Kafir. That is as high as you can get. And that's why it's fascinating to me that what he is demanding of Islam, if he were to look at this and ask a Muslim to accept this, he will get academics to accept it. Yes, Western uh, liberal academics and many of them who have come to the United States and have come to the West to get away from that real Islam, to get and to come and live in a very Western sanitized environment. Mm -hmm. As a result of that, and this is what Shoemaker says uh, on page 10, He said, therefore, contemporary Muslims may, of course, believe and insist that their faith is indistinguishable and unchanged from the religious movement that Muhammad established in the 7th century. In other words, they have to then sanitize it, and then they have to go back, and they have to 
show all the benign, beautiful. I mean, you've heard this all the time. All the Muslims, how lovely Muhammad was. Look how he endeared himself to children. Look how he endeared himself to women. Look how he ennobled women. You're hearing this all the time on our university campuses. You see it on our television. You see it on the radio waves. Muslim after Muslim who comes up with a sanitized view of Muhammad that I don't even recognize. And it's still certainly not that I find in the Siddha. And certainly that I not find in the Quran itself. Mm-hmm. Yet any such claim, essential, uh, Shoemaker says, though it may be to Islamic self-identity, is theological and ideological and not historical. This is a theological, ideological impetus uh, that comes from a need to sanitize the man, the book, and the place so that it can be acceptable to a Western environment. But it is not historical. It is not historical. That what he's, that's why he calls this a historical critical study. You have to have and make sure that the man you're talking about, the place you're talking about, the things that he did, the things that he said, the things that he did to the Jews has to be historically accurate. It has to be from the 7th century, written by a man who lived in the century in a place called Mecca and but only that place and by that time. And can you see how this walk goes against everything we know about history, everything right. we know about when you're looking at a book and a man in a place, regardless of what, of the fact that there is a there is gonna be there is gonna be a backlash if you start to do this. It still nonetheless needs to be done. In order for it to be called a historical, you've got to do the historical analysis. So what is his solution to this? No, he's going to go into that. He and he his his solution is this, and he he says it right here. Our aim is to compare the beginnings of Islam with the related Near Eastern monotheism in the Abrahamic tradition that arose from the same context. Our study advocates substantial continuity rather than difference between Islam and these traditions, a movement that is engaged and similar to the other monotheisms of late antiquity, rather than a new religion that emerged spontaneously from the cultural seclusion of the Hijaz. What he's saying is, I'm going to do a historical study, and I'm going to look and see what was happening in the 7th century. I'm going to look and see what the people are, and I'm going to show you, we're going to show you, that when you look at Islam in its very beginning, when you look at the history of Islam, it is an amalgamation of other monotheistic religions that have been brought in that impose that are that have been borrowed you might say some would say even imposed to create the islam we have today it is not a religion that just came ex nihilo out of nothing in a 22 year period like muslims like to tell us like a lot of the academics like to tell so that's his solution right. basically his solution is let's do a historical critique exactly and i like what uh, he mentioned about the uh, uh, the cultural seclusion of the Hijaz, which is it's almost like he's, he's referring to what you and I have been talking about. Did Islam really, in general, and the Quran emerge from South, or did it emerge from somewhere else? Okay, now that's where I'm going to have a problem with Shoemaker, because he. I wish he would say what you just said. Nonetheless, we're going to get to that. That's later on. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Hopefully, you're enjoying this series. We welcome, of course, any of your comments any of your, uh, maybe you came across some quotations by other scholars, uh, some journal articles, please shoot them our way because we're always open for doing these kind of uh, analyses. And uh, myself and Dr. J have agreed that we are, this is one of many books that we will start taking a journey through and making sure that first 
We analyze that book for you, and if it is noteworthy, of course, we'll point to you why this particular book or any book that we will be talking about is important for you to have in your library. Dr. J, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. This is Al Fadi. Until next time, have a blessed day. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.